Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. David describes what that means when a person comes to know the plague of his own heart from sin when he said in Psalm 102.20, Psalm 102.20, to hear the groaning of the prisoner to loose those that are appointed to death. The person who knows the plague of his own heart is a groaner. He knows the plague of his own heart and he's groaning like a prisoner because sin enslaves like a prisoner. That's why Paul said in Romans 6.6, 6, Romans 6.6, 6, the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Sin is like a moray eel, a moray eel, moray eel. I had a very short scuba diving career. <laughs> Praise the Lord, I was allergic to my wetsuit. But anyway, <laughs> I was. But one of the things that we were taught, don't stick your hand in crevices and rocks because moray eels wait and they hide between the rocks with their mouth open and they just wait for a diver in curiosity to become curious and reach in and then snap goes the jaws and those jaws don't let up. And the diver has to come to the surface of the boat where another takes pliers and pries open the mouth of the moray eel. The moray eel is a picture of sin. Sin's like the moray eel. It sets its vice-like grip on a person who fools around with sin. And a person longs to be free from sin, but there's only one person who can come and pry open the jaws of sin, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord Jesus Christ comes to the believer to pry open the jaws of sin, we can picture him prying open sin's vice-like grip, and as he's prying it open, we can hear him say the words of Romans 6.14, Romans 6.14, as he's prying it open, you can hear him say, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, you're under grace. So the cry of the person who knows the plague of his own heart is Romans 7.24, Romans 7.24. He, he groans these words, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Who shall pry open the vice-like grip of sin? The cry is for deliverance. The cry is for only one who can bring that deliverance. And the next verse in Romans 7.25, Romans 7.25, tells who the prior is, who can pry open the jaws when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just like the hymn says, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Now, before this man encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, this man was known as, in verse five, in John 5, 7, the impotent man, 
the impotent man. He answered him saying, sir, I have no man, but when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, while I'm coming, never the steppeth down before me. This is quite a title, the impotent man. It's saying the man is paralyzed, the man is powerless, the man is helpless. That's a picture of what sin does. We have three parts to our being. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. Sin works on all three parts. Sin destroys the body. In this particular case, the sin had destroyed his body. It was an invalid there. And then sin defiles the soul. Sin destroys the body. Sin defiles the soul. And sin dulls the spirit. It dulls the spirit. I mean, just look at Samson. He fooled around with this sinful woman, Delilah, and he found himself, because he did that, in Judges 16.21, Judges 16.21, the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. He never forgot that. Do you know that's what those words that he said when he died? When he brought down the, that, that, that house that all the Philistines were in with 3,000 people on there? Do you know that's what he said? He said, Lord, avenge me of the Philistines for my eyes. Anyways, the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. He did grind the prison house. See, Gaza has a very bad history. Sin had so dulled his spirit before this happened, the verse before in Judges 16.20, Judges 16.20, when she said, when Delilah said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson, he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not, he didn't know that the Lord was departed from him. He didn't even know that the Lord had departed from him because sin had dulled his spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ looked right into the face of this man at the pool and detected his need of being powerless as he said to the man, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. What could be worse? I don't know, but whatever. He said, lest a worse thing come unto thee. That meant that the man now had the power to do what he could not do in the past. See, now the man could sin no more because he had been delivered from the power of sin by the deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who pried open the vice-like grip of sin and set him free. Before the Lord Jesus came to this man at the pool, this man was only looking to other men for help. He was looking, and it's a very sad statement. It's pathetic. It breaks your heart. When you read that in verse 7, the impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into, but while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. It's so sad to see this man say, I have no man to put me in the water. It's a statement of loneliness that this is like the prodigal son who started out with a lot of friends when he had money, and he ended up in a state that's described in Luke 15, 14, Luke 15, 14, when he had spent all there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. It's a good job for a Jewish boy. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. No man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? 
The prodigal son started out with a lot of money and a lot of friends until his money ran out, and then he found himself feeding pigs, and he was hungry, and he says, and no man gave unto him. The man at the pool of Bethesda in verse five says, I have no man. And the prodigal son in the pig pen says, and no man gave unto him. Both men had no man to help him. Sin left these men abandoned by man. This man lived this way for 38 years. 38 years, it says in verse five. That's a long time of a wasted life. It's a wasted life. That's what sin does. Sin wastes a life. Every minute that a person is not delivered from sin is another minute of a wasted life. And the first need that this man has is to be delivered from the power of sin. The second that he has is to be forgiven. He needs to be forgiven. When the Lord said to him, sin no more, that means he had forgiven his sins. He had forgiven his sins. The Lord Jesus often not only healed the sick bodies, but he also healed sick souls by forgiving their sins, like this man, and also like the paralyzed man who was let down on his cot through the roof to, to, by his friends. He was let down to arrive in front of the Lord. That must have been something. And it's described in Mark 2, 3, Mark 2, 3. They came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, in other words, the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I mean, there was a man whose body was sick with epilepsy or whatever, and behold, they brought him, it's another one, they brought him, brought to him a man sick of the palsy, sick of the epilepsy, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. So the second need is to be forgiven. The third need that sin causes is the need for soul cleansing for soul cleansing, and only the blood, only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can cleanse the soul from sin, as it says in 1 John 1, 7, 1 John 1, 7, we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only the believer, only the believer can know true soul cleansing. Only the believer really can know the answer to this prayer, the effective answer to this prayer, Lord, cleanse my heart from sin. A great prayer, but only a believer can experience that because of Revelation 1.5, Revelation 1.5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In Revelation 7.14, Revelation 7.14, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So the soul cleansing by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a coming attraction to the Jewish people. That's coming, that's coming. And that's prophesied in Zechariah 13.1, Zechariah 13.1, when it says, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. That's the soul cleansing the soul cleansing from sin. 
that was first announced, that was first announced by John the Baptist when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time in John 1.29, John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, which cleanses the soul, which cleanses away the sin. See, this soul cleansing is a cleansing of the conscience. It's really called a purging of the conscience. It's a purging of the conscience in Hebrews 9.14, Hebrews 9.14. How much more then shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, when the Lord Jesus said to this man, will doubt be made whole, the man had to respond. That was a question. The Lord Jesus didn't just say, I'm gonna make you whole now. He asked him a question, will you be made whole? He wanted to heal the man, the Lord did, clearly, but the Lord would not heal the man until the man reached out to the Lord by faith. So he gives him a command in verse eight. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. The man had to take the first step and obey the command to get up, take his bed, and walk. He had to first believe, and then he obeyed the Lord to get up and walk. That was faith. I mean, I want you to just picture. Picture this man here. He's looking in the face of the Lord Jesus. He's looking. He's hearing the words of the Lord Jesus. He's hearing this invitation. He's hearing. He's thinking about what he said. He's thinking. And then he's believing what he said. He's believing. And then he's rising. That's a picture of Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1. That man was doing exactly this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, set down the right hand of God. For consider, think about, for consider or think about, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. See, these words, lay aside every sin, looking unto Jesus, consider him. Looking into the face of the Lord Jesus, hearing him, thinking about what he said, faith is born. That's when faith was born. That's why he's the author of faith. When he was looking into the face of Jesus and he was hearing what he was saying and he was thinking about it, faith was born in this man and he got up. That's what it means to look unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus and considering him. This all happened to this man because he looked at the Lord Jesus, he heard the Lord Jesus, he considered what the Lord Jesus said, and he believed the Lord Jesus. He heard and believed the command, rise. What a word that is, rise. The word rise, it changed his life. It changed his whole life. He had an old life of despair and depression. The word rise brought him a new life of hope and adventure. The word rise said to this man that his life was now to be lifted up, was to rise. The word rise said to this man that his, whose spirit had been crushed for 38 years with discouragement was now to rise into a life of encouragement from the victory and the comfort that the Lord Jesus was giving him. 
See, the man had lain there slumped on a mattress for 38 years, and now he hears this word, rise, rise, rise. And when Satan hits you, and when Satan hits me, and then hits you again, and hits me again, and then hits again, and you feel flat on your back like this man, the Lord Jesus then comes and says, rise, rise, rise. Lift up your head, stand on your feet, enter into all that I've made possible for you by my death and resurrection. See, this one word, rise, is from an old life of doom, which is changed to a new life of a new expectation, a new expectation. Then the Lord Jesus says to him, take up thy bed. And that's strange, you know, why did he tell him to take up his bed? Why, did he didn't want someone to steal it or something? Uh, no, I mean, he didn't have to tell him to take up his bed. I mean, after all, the man, he healed the man, so why did he tell the man to take up his bed? It was very significant because of what that bed represented to that man. That bed represented defeat for the man. Every time that man, for the last 38 years, rolled on that bed, he knew that he was beaten down and he could not rise, he couldn't get into the water. And now the Lord tells him, take up your bed. He's saying to the man, remove the bed because you're never gonna lie at this pool again. You're never gonna come back here. Don't even think about it. You should not have any provision for a relapse. He didn't say, okay, you rise, but leave your bed there, you might fall again. No, he says, take it away. When the Lord gives us the victory over what has held us down in a state of defeat, and that state of defeat is like the bed, then the Lord gives a deliverance, and he says, take up your bed, because the bed represents chronic defeat. Chronic defeat, it was a chronic defeat for this man for 38 years. Take up thy bed means Romans 8.37, Romans 8.37. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I mean, just picture this man, just picture him. I mean, maybe the man is putting the mattress on his head and he's walking away and everyone seeing that mattress on his head would say, hey, there's that mattress that he always laid on. He was on that mattress. Now the mattress is on him. He's walking away. And he could say, yep, this mattress represents my chronic defeat. Now look at it on my head. I'm carrying it away. There it is. There's the mattress. Everybody can see it. It will no longer hold me down in a state of chronic defeat. I want everyone to see I'm now the master of this bed and what held me here for 38 years. When the Lord Jesus commanded him to rise up, his command was an enabling, was an enabling. And he says, I'm not gonna make any more provision for a relapse. So we can look at the mattress and say, that mattress could be in our life. Our life, is there a mattress that's holding us down in a state of chronic defeat? Time to hear the Lord Jesus say, rise, rise, take up thy bed. He calls us to rise up, be more than a conqueror over it, be master over it, don't make any provision to have a relapse and fall back under the power of sin. He says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. That message, rise, take up thy bed and walk, that's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. Rise, take up thy bed and walk, why? Because to be released from the power of sin, that's deliverance. To be released from the penalty of sin, that's forgiveness. To be released from the defilement of sin, that's cleansing. All because the Lord Jesus died and rose again. That's the gospel. That's the gospel right there. So not only did he say rise, which changed this man's life from a life of despair to a life of, of hope, not only did he say, take up thy bed, which changes this man's life from a life of defeat and bondage to a life of victory and freedom, but he says, walk, walk. 
That changes the man's life from a life of uselessness to a life of purpose. Walk, when you walk always means walk with God. Like Abraham walked with God, Enoch walked with God, Noah walked with God. They all had lives of walking with God. They had lives, which means they had lives of fellowship with God, friendship with God. They had lives of service with God. Walk suggests all of that. Walk suggests a direction in life. Walk suggests a destiny in life. For him, it meant a life of witness, and he starts off right off the bat in verse 15, John 5.15, John 5.15. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. He now's got a purposeful life of witness. He's telling others how he was healed from his sins by the Lord Jesus, and he's telling them how they could be healed of their sins by the Lord Jesus. That's a life of witnessing. That's a new life of purpose. A life of saving people from eternal destruction of hell is a new life of purpose. See, there was that woman with the issue of blood, and she had lived with this for 12 years, and she pushes her way through a crowd when she sees the Lord Jesus, and faith is born in her. She sees, she hears, she considers, she believes. And then that faith now, she reaches out her hand to touch his garment, and that's given to us in Matthew 9.20, Matthew 9.20. The older woman was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years, it's a long time, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The hour, and the woman was made whole from that hour. You know, this woman, for 12 years, she had this terrible condition that made her unclean. It made her unsociable. I know what this is like, because in Ethiopia, the women do really work that they shouldn't be doing, carrying very, very heavy loads of rocks and so forth. Breaks down in their pelvic area, and they end up with a condition where they are not able to, they're incontinent, they can't hold urine. And they are ostracized from society in Ethiopia. They have to live in a mud hut all alone and dependent on friends to come and to bring them food and so forth because they can't go out in public. And this is similar to this woman. She's got this issue of blood. But what made the difference for her is what she said within herself in Matthew 9.21, Matthew 9.21. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. See, because she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole, that was her faith. That was her faith. She was made whole, and the Lord Jesus told her the reason when he turned her about in Matthew 9.22, Matthew 9.22, Jesus turned him about when he saw her and said, daughter, be of good cheer. Daughter, he doesn't push her away. Daughter, he says, be of good cheer, good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole. See, the Lord wanted to heal her, but he didn't heal her until she made the first move. She made the first move of faith when she reached out her hand to touch his garment. When she did reach out her hand to the Lord Jesus, she was healed. And the Lord didn't say, well, I just made you whole. He didn't say that. He put all of the responsibility on her for her healing, and he told her, thy faith hath made thee whole. She, of her own free will, she made that decision to reach out to him in faith, and he honored 
her own free will choice by saying thy faith had made thee whole. The fact that he honored her and her choice shows again fatalism is not true. She was not predestined, foreordained, or chosen by God to reach out her hand. She made that choice, independent of God, to reach out her hand, and God honored her choice. It's another example in Scripture that fatalism's not true. God does not predestinate, foreordain, choose who's gonna decide to reach out to him in faith and be saved. The Lord wanted to heal this man at the pool, but he didn't make the first step until the man made the first move of faith when he got up and took up his bed and walked. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 